Our scripture today comes from the gospel, the good news, according to Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's share in God's good word together. Pray then in this way, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Did you notice that the last words of the Lord's Prayer and the Gospel of Matthew are not the same words that we pray each and every week here at Acts 2? Well, how can that be? The words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. They're not found in Matthew. They're not even found in Luke. They come from the early Christian writings known as the Didache. And the Didache also ends the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer by encouraging Jesus followers like us to pray this prayer three times a day. Imagine remembering morning, noon, and night that God is in control. God does have all power, all glory, all honor, and all praise. It all belongs to God. And it is God's good kingdom that we live in both now and forever. Amen? Amen. The Lord's Prayer has been prayed here at Acts 2 by our community together thousands of times. Since August 1999, we have gathered each week in person or online or in person and online with sometimes one service or two services, three, four, and even five worship, service, um, worship services sometimes in a week. And every time we gather to worship, we say this prayer. Why? Because it is powerful. It reminds us of who God is and who we are and what we need and how the world really works. Today, we learn how to pray together from Jesus in his own words. Let's get started. So Jesus, in his own words, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain because he had gotten himself worn out. He had been teaching and preaching and healing and helping all through um, chapters 1 through 4. And then we come to the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. What we like to call around here, the greatest teaching ever given by the smartest man who's ever lived. And one of the things that I want us to start with today uh, is a quote from Dallas Willard. Because all of this around the Sermon on the Mount um, requires that we understand this. That you and I, we were built to count. Friends, you matter. And what we're going to talk about today matters because you matter. This is important. We were built to count, to matter. As water is made to run downhill, that's simply the way it is. We are placed in a specific context to count in ways no one else does. That is our destiny, Dallas Willard says. You count. You matter. You were created in such a way that you are needed in this world. And the better that we can all start to live in the kingdom of heaven, where what God wants done is done, then heaven begins to come to earth. We can participate in what God is doing. And that's when our faith really shines. So we are in our fourth week in this sermon series, Jesus in His Own Words. And in week one, we learned that the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done is done. It is not simply a place um, or a place that you go to, but it is the actual existence of the reality of where what God wants done is done. 
Dr. Amy Jill Levine, New Testament professor uh, in Jewish studies at Vanderbilt University, she says it like this. Heaven is a different place, a better place, a real place, a place where God rules and life is as God wants rather than as humanity has constructed. And friends, you and I can participate in that right here, right now, today. We can do what God wants us to do. We can feed the hungry. We can care for the sick. We can lift up the poor. We can be about the things of God. We can sing praises to His name. And so all of this uh, is possible um, with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. In week two, Jesus began to show us how to live into this reality, this kingdom of heaven. So Jesus sets up an ideal community with God as loving Father of us all. And of course, uh, we're going to see this in the scriptures today um, in the prayer itself that we call God Father. And so with God as Father, then we have to learn how to live with each other as brother and sister. So Jesus provides new guidelines or fences, that's how Dr. Levine calls it, uh, for living into the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So there was a rabbinic tradition where the rabbi would put a fence around the Torah. So rather than simply um, you know, getting to murder, which you would never want to do, we would extend the fence out to include anger. So how do we get over our anger? How do we not let the sun go down on our anger, as Paul would write? In the same way, before you ever get to adultery, let's push that fence out and let's talk about lust and make sure that we don't let lust get a hold of us so that adultery and divorce and other bad things don't happen later. They're building, the rabbinic tradition was to build a fence around the Torah. And then in week three, Jesus says to you and to me and to all who would follow him, you are salt and you are light. You are salt and light. Uh, the scripture says it like this, you are the salt of the earth. Notice that it's not the salt of heaven uh, or the salt of the angels. It is something that preserves life, that seasons life, that enhances life right here, right now, here on the earth. But Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? And then he says this, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. That's just the way it is. You're going to see it. If your light is shining, it's going to be seen. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And he gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. All of us, we are to let our light shine, friends, before others, that they may see your good works. But notice that the glory doesn't go to you. No, it goes to your Father in heaven. This life in Christ never points to ourselves. It always points towards the kingdom of heaven, to God, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit. And so Dallas Willard, um, again, is very helpful to me in this. He says, it's not that we are seen doing a good deed, but are we doing a good deed in order to be seen? So if you are a light, if you are a city on a hill, if you are salt, you are going to enhance and flavor and light the area around you. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing something in order to be seen, there's no sense in that. Nobody likes it. Um, and there's no reward in heaven for that. that. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so this week, Jesus shows us how to pray. And so one of the first things we have to get right around prayer is that the purpose of prayer is not to get God's attention. You have God's attention. You already have it. God's crazy about you. He loves you right where you are. So you don't have to jump up and down to get God's attention. You have it all the time. And we know this from some of the earliest writings in the Bible. All the way back in the Torah in Deuteronomy, the first priestly blessing goes like this. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Now this word countenance is for God to always have his face towards you. God is paying attention to you. You don't have to worry about whether God's seeing you. He is. He can't take his eyes off of you because he loves you so much. And because this is true, you can have peace because God is watching out for you. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. So what is Jesus talking about here? Jesus said his followers are not to show off or try to manipulate when we pray. God is already paying attention to you, and he's older than you, and he's smarter than you, and he's better than you. So you don't have to uh, try to manipulate God because that's not going to work. You don't need to show off because it's not for your friends anyway. So Jesus says, and whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Don't do that. I tell you, they've received their reward. He says, when you are praying, right, when my followers, Jesus is making a contrast between the people listening to him, a Jew talking to Jewish followers, and followers of other people like the scribes or the Pharisees, who he would call hypocrites. He says, when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so God, as Father, God being the only Father, reshapes our relationships to our human families. And so if God is Father, that means every other person that you lock eyes with is either your brother or your sister, because every person on the planet is created in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And so Jesus says this, don't pray like that, pray like this. Jesus says, pray then in this way, our Father, which makes each and every one of us brothers and sisters. Our Father in heaven, not like earthly fathers, better than that, more loving than that, more faithful than that. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, sacred be your name, set apart, holy, wonderful is your name. And so, um, the Old Testament uh, in Malachi, the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, says it like this. This is something, this father language is something that, would, that they would have already known. Uh, the prophet Malachi in roughly the year 500 B.C., so about 500 years before Jesus, said this, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? We are in covenant with one another. We are to count on one another. We are to be there for one another. We are to love one another. That's Jesus' commandment in the Gospel of John. Love one another as I have loved you. And so that we're to be one. We are to love one another. We are to take care of one another because we are in covenant with each other. And so to use this father language, which makes us brothers and sisters, uh, it evokes positive images. I know father language can be difficult for some, uh, but when Jesus was using it, it was not harsh at all. It was uh, the most loving, great thing he could say uh, because it, it would evoke images of uh, God as provider, God as protector, always loving, always compassionate. It was as good as you could get. And it was a beautiful thing that the Hebrew people knew well. Uh, the actual Hebrew word is avenu. Um, and this, the first part, like avi, is where we get the word abba uh, that maybe you've heard about in the scriptures. Um, uh, a very intimate, close relationship like father. Uh, it simply indicates the closeness of the relationship with God. God is not 
so other that we can't relate to God. God loves us and is watching us and cares for us and is looking over us as a wonderful father uh, or maybe in your, in your family system like a, a good grandfather or great-grandfather where they just always love the, the grandkids and great-grandkids. Uh, Paul would actually write it to the early church uh, in Galatians like this. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God. There it is again. Uh, whether it's in Malachi 500 years before Christ, whether it's Jesus' own teaching, or whether it's Paul in the early church, it's all about all of us being children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, there's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male and female. For, say it with me, all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And this is a really big deal because when Jesus talks about this and when Paul's talking about this, we know that Jesus lived in a kingdom without democracy, ruled by an emperor, the, the emperor of Rome, Caesar, and maintained by an army. And so uh, Dr. Levine says it like this, When the followers of Jesus talked about their father in the heavens, they were making a political statement. The father of the fatherland was not the ultimate authority. Well, who's that? The father of the fatherland is what Caesar called himself. And so when Jesus says, our father in heaven, what he's also saying is, not the father of the fatherland, Caesar. There's a competing kingdom. It's a different kingdom. A better kingdom is the kingdom of God, father in heaven, not father of the fatherland. Um, so now Caesar's not the ultimate authority. The father in heaven was the ultimate authority, God himself. And so one of the things that Jesus is laying out here is that there are multiple kingdoms at play, multiple kingdoms in contrast to one another. Uh, and you might even say at war with one another. So the kingdom of God does not look like the kingdoms of earth. And, and two of the kingdoms that Jesus was uh, going to have a really difficult time with, uh, the first was the kingdom of Herod Antipas, uh, which was a client king of Rome uh, over the area of Galilee, uh, which is up to the north. Or he also, as you would know, uh, certainly coming out of Easter week, um, about Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of Judea at the time, which is a larger region. And so the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of Herod Antipas. It's not the kingdom of Pontius Pilate. Uh, both of those rulers would, would rule with the sword, would rule with violence, would rule with cruelty. Not so with the kingdom of heaven, not with the kingdom of God. And so we learn to pray, God, your kingdom come, good father, your kingdom come, provider, protector, loving, compassionate God, your kingdom come, your will. These are the same things, your kingdom, your will. Your will be done on earth, here, right here, right now, as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying for. Where the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the sick are healed, the poor have enough. This is the kingdom of heaven, where peace rules, where justice reigns. And so the Our Father, as some communities call it, is a communal prayer, something we do together that reminds us we are not all in the same place. And, and so here's the thing, we're not in the same place. Some people uh, are desperate to get married. Uh, others are trying to figure out a way to get out of their marriage, or they've lost a spouse uh, or a child or another loved one. When we come together and we pray as a community, we all have different needs. Some are hungry, some are well-fed. Some need shelter, some have multiple homes. Wherever we, fall, wherever we are, we come together in community. So Jesus says this, 
uh, as we come and we pray this prayer as uh, known as the Our Father. He says in Matthew 12, later on in the gospel, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's making a really clear contrast between the way things work on earth, as we think of it, and in the kingdom of heaven, where God is Father, and anyone, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Notice, it doesn't matter what you look like, what color you are, what class you are, what country you come from, how old you are, whoever. That's a really important concept here in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does the will of my Father. That's it. That's the litmus test. If you want to know um, what Jesus is looking for, He's looking at your heart and your willingness and your motive to do the things of God, to live in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is looking for. And what does this look like? Well, it's sharing rather than hoarding. Uh, that's a mark of a faithful, functioning community when we share with one another. And so when we pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, um, that could mean uh, a number of things. It, it seems kind of funny, doesn't it, that it's this day in our daily bread. It, it seems redundant. Dr. Levine says that um, in the Aramaic, it might actually mean give us this day tomorrow's bread, um, like we think about at Jesus' heavenly banquet. Uh, because certainly um, in the world to come, uh, we think of really having things poured down on us. And so some people think of it that way. But it's also true, simply the necessities of life. Give us what we need. And so all the way back in the Exodus story, Jesus' first hearers in the first century would have known this story. And they would have known it well. Um, it goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. And that way I will test them whether they will follow my instruction or not. So give us what we need, God. We are trusting you to give us what we need for this day. Um, not for all our days, but just enough for the day as you have always done since the time of the Exodus, where you saved us from the Egyptians and you gave us food to eat. We'll trust you today as we did in those days. It was a call back um, to knowing who they were as a people and God's providence and good care for them. So, um, Dr. Levine says it this way, those who share the same loaf are part of a community that extends back into antiquity, all the way back to Exodus, and forward to that heavenly banquet, the future that we have at Christ's table. And so after um, helping us remember that we can rely on God uh, for everything that we need, he says that we're to do the same for others. So the next section is this, and forgive us our debts. Um, and we say trespasses here at Acts 2 um, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, the, it's the same thing. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So if you've argued around the family table of which it is, just know that debts is a synonym for trespasses. No one got it wrong. It, it, they're synonyms. It's okay. And so um, in Luke, it actually says it like this. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Think about the power and grace of that, where you can actually set people free from the things that they owe you. You don't have to be mad about it. They don't have to be worried about it. You can forgive them. Uh, you can let them go. Um, you do not have to exact every penny uh, from someone that owes you something. Uh, you can set them free, and you can be free of the worry of that. And so the other way of looking at this is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means 
If someone needs, another will provide it. That's what happens in the kingdom of heaven. Because in the kingdom of heaven, it's where what God wants done is done. And so when we talk, you've never heard anybody say at Jesus' banquet table, there wasn't enough salt. Or, you know, the turkey legs ran out. Or whatever it is. No. Whatever the need is, it is provided. And that's true here on earth as it is in heaven. It closes up like this. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Well, again, here we're back to this testing and trial, which, to be fair, many people in our modern senses are a little troubled by. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, says that God does not test us, um, but certainly the, Jesus was tempted or tested by the devil. Um, we all go through trials. Certainly, uh, Jesus had the trial uh, of being faithful in the garden um, and through the passion before, leading into Easter. I mean, there are times of testing. Now, how that is, whether that's our own self or whether that's God, lots of people have debated, debated about that for millennia. So, there's this idea of t- trial and testing uh, with the throwback all the way to Exodus and God's provision. And are we going to trust God for provision? And how that ties in from in Jesus' day, uh, a strong concept of Satan, the evil one. Um, most of the time when we're praying it, we simply say, deliver us from evil. And so we don't think of the devil as, you know, little red horns and a stick. Uh, that's not what this is saying at all. Um, it is, God, we're trusting you. We're trusting you. Keep our focus on you uh, and keep us, protect us, help us. So, uh, Dr. Levine says it like this. She says, do not bring us to the test uh, means let us not be tempted to use our resources just for ourselves. Let us not come to a place where we lord it over others rather than engage in servant leadership. Let us not desire the splendors of the world rather than attend to its needs. These are all real temptations for us. Uh, to live for me, myself, and I, uh, for me and my kids and my grandkids. Uh, and if my neighbor's having a hard day, so what? You know, I, I'm taking care of mine. Um, and she says, no, that's, that's not how heaven is. That's not who we are to be. We are to be brothers and sisters to everyone. And so kindness and justice uh, and being well-fed and well-educated uh, is good for everybody, not just for some. And then the gospel goes uh, on into how forgiveness works. Uh, what's really at stake? Uh, what happens when we pray and, and, and will our prayer be heard and how will it be responded to uh, and how that's tied to the way we think and the way we live um, and what we say. And so at the end of this teaching of Jesus, he says this. These are Jesus' own words here. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their sins, their debts, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if you, right, it's an if-then thing, If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's great. But if you do not, Jesus' own words here, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father forgive you. And, you know, I don't know where in our tradition we drop this off of the prayer. Um, Maybe we did because it's so difficult uh, or so sobering about how much our life and our actions matter. But if you're brave, I hope you'll read this with me. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespassers. You see, the New Testament professor um, at TCU at Bright Divinity School, uh, Eugene Boring, he says this. 
Prayer for God's forgiveness is unthinkable for one who is intentionally an unforgiving person. It never comes to mind. You can't even, it's not even in your concept, you can't conceive of it that there would be a God who would be so loving and forgiving of you if you've never participated in the forgiving of others. If you don't intend to forgive others, you can't fathom or imagine going to God and asking for forgiveness. It, it takes it out of play. Prayer for God's forgiveness is unthinkable for one who is intentionally an unforgiving person. And so the harsh reality uh, that I found over 20 years of ministry is that some of the most upset people and harsh people it's because they're, they don't forgive. And because they don't forgive others, they don't really believe that they're forgiven. Actually, they cannot be forgiven because they won't ask. And so they're miserable. And they become hard-hearted. And they lose their life in this world. So here it is again. Prayer for God's forgiveness is unthinkable for one who is intentionally an unforgiving person. With all I am, I want to beg you to forgive others and to go ask for forgiveness from those um, who you know that you've wronged uh, in both ways. It's super important for your soul and for the health of your life. Because here's the truth of the matter. I found this in the footnote of my Bible, um, the Oxford Annotated Bible, uh, when it was looking at the Lord's Prayer. And when it came to this verse, it says this. hope you'll read it with me. We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. Say with me, we cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. We can't ask God for grace if we won't extend grace to others. We can't ask God for forgiveness if we won't forgive others. We can't ask God for our daily bread if we keep it from those we know who are hungry. We ought not ask God for healing in our own life when we will deny that same health care to someone, our brother or sister across the street. We cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. That's the way the kingdom of heaven works. We're all one family. We all have one father and it is important to God and to us and to our world that we learn how to live together. We pray for God's kingdom, Dallas Willard says, to take over at all points in the personal, yes in our personal lives, our social lives, and political order where it is now excluded. Anywhere we see injustice, anywhere we see brokenness or unforgiveness in our personal life, anywhere we see somebody being wronged in our social circles, anywhere we know that we are being brutal and harmful to other people in our political order, where that happens, we pray, oh God, on earth as it is in heaven, don't let it stay like that one more minute, one more day in our country, on our earth, in our town, in our home. With this prayer, we are invoking it. We're asking God to get involved in it. As in faith, we are acting it. We're taking our faith with God. We're letting our light shine. We're moving into it, even if it's scary, and into the real world of our daily existence on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's good kingdom to take over everywhere, personally, socially, politically, that this is our Father's world. We can trust Him with it, but we have to act out as brothers and sisters in the love of Christ. So how do we do this, friends? Our action steps for this week. One, I want to invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer each day this week. Um, and if you want to be like the early church, 
If you want to be like those first followers of the Didache in the book of Acts chapter 2 and in the first few hundred years of Christ, pray it three times a day. Pray it when you wake up. Pray it at noontime. Pray it before you go to bed. And see if it doesn't make a wonderful difference in your life, remembering that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And then don't let it just stay with words. Take one action daily to participate in God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we are a part of what God is doing right here, right now. Take that risk, take that action, and be a part of what God wants done right here. And so, let's pray the perfect prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.